Welcome to the Church at Lake Mead, and this is our sermon podcast. Today, Pastors Brad Blakely and Mike Nay begin a new sermon series called Immeasurably More. Let's check out part one. Man, what what a weekend last weekend, right, church? That was amazing. If you were able to be there, you saw like just the presence of the Lord just resting on that place. And I wanna just give some of you a little bit of a backstory to some of what's been happening. And maybe you've heard some of this story, but I think it's worth repeating. So about last year, January, we had a pastor's retreat. We were up the, up the uh, Red Rock Canyon area. We were just praying together, planning, dreaming for the next year. And I really felt, hey, thanks so much, Mike. Appreciate that. Um, I really felt just a prompting after the retreat was over to go to those buildings and just, and just to pray. And so, um, you know, I said, hey, guys, what do you think? Let's just go and pray. And let's just ask the Lord for some dedicated church space for the church of Lake Mead. And it is not because we don't feel these buildings are adequate. We love these buildings. These are beautiful places for our church to meet. But this is a wrestling practice facility. This is a lunchroom. This is a theater, right? This is a multi-purpose room that is constantly being turned over for the next activity. And it's really, really hard for us to add new events so that our church can gather just when we need to. Um, I have so many dreams. Our team has so many dreams of things we wanna see the Lord use the church at Lake Mead for, and we need dedicated space for that. So we were over at the other building or those buildings and we just, they had a big four lease sign on them. I said, let's just put our hands on these buildings and let's just pray. I mean, somebody owns them. We have no idea who they are, but they're vacant and they're ours, right? So we just kind of prayed by faith and Chris had his guitar and we walked around playing the guitar, singing worship songs, like it's the walls of Jericho. Like, come on, Lord, like knock these walls down, right? So we prayed, um, I reached out to my brother, BJ, who helps out with a lot of our development. And so he and uh, some friends of our ministry started reaching out to the four lease, you know, who, whoever owned those. We found out that it was owned by a um, kind of like a, uh, I don't know, an equity firm. I'm not quite sure, uh, but it was somebody in a different state, a group of people started reaching out. And at first it really seemed favorable. And so we were really excited. Like, wow, they, they're interested in selling because it was for lease, not for sale. But then we hit some roadblocks. And so uh, the reason we went over and prayed in the spring is because we thought, oh, but this is just opening quickly. And then it kind of just went dark. It just kind of, they stopped responding. Um, it was kind of like, you know, crickets on their end. And so, so we just prayed and we all prayed. And, and, uh, but we had this sense, this sense. That it wasn't a no, it was just a wait. And then um, uh, folks that are helping with our, our ministry kept sending letters, kept sending letters. And then around early December, we finally got a response saying, actually, we're interested in selling it. Don't tell anyone that <laughs> we had to keep it really under wraps until the deal was closed. And uh, as a result of some friends of our ministry helping us to acquire the property, we were able to finally say this, this ministry has now secured those buildings for our future space. Amazing, amen, right? That's it. And so we wanted to go over last week to show you so you could see what we see 
lots of potential. That's what we see over there, right? We do not see a finished product. We do not see uh, what it is right now, but that's a little bit how the walk of faith is, isn't it? Like just looking at what it's gonna be, not what it currently is. Can, can I get an amen to somebody? Come on. That is the journey, right? So we walked over there. We see the future. We see the potential. We see that it needs fixing up. Um, and we, we dove into the story of Nehemiah a little bit. And um, I realized we were kind of just standing and we were excited. And I know that you guys were not listening to what I was preaching about last week. So I wanna reprise last week's sermon just a little bit to tell you, because I've been like studying Nehemiah and I just think there are some profound things that God wants to teach us through that story. And so I wanna kind of review a little bit of what we talked about last week and then go into some new content this week because I think it's really powerful. So if... If you have your Bible, we're in Nehemiah. If you don't, we're gonna have the verses on the screen, but part of this I won't have there because I'm gonna review from last week. But Nehemiah, we meet Nehemiah in the first chapter and we find out that Nehemiah, he's probably related to Jewish royalty. He probably has some pedigree, but if you can imagine being a part of a people group that has just been conquered by another nation, it really doesn't matter who your family is. It really doesn't matter who you come from. Like all of these people, the Jews have been just taken out of their land, their, their land destroyed. But Nehemiah is one of the lucky ones. He's kind of hit the lottery, so to speak, because in this new reality, Nehemiah works for the foreign king. And so if you're gonna be a slave in a foreign land, I mean, that would be the best job possible, right? So Nehemiah finds himself secure and safe, at least he is, and he's in the fortress of Susa. He's with the king, this Artaxerxes man. And, and so he's serving in his court. And, and so if you're asking Nehemiah how things are going, they're okay, right? He's got a, a comfortable job. He's safe, but it's, things really aren't okay. And Nehemiah knows it. And everybody else knows it. They're not supposed to be conquered people in a foreign land. They're supposed to be with God's people in God's place in, in Jerusalem. And so things are, that's the setting. That's where we pick up the story. And one day Nehemiah uh, notices that his brother has come back to this palace, this fortress. And his brother had just been in Jerusalem. And this is where we're gonna pick it up in chapter one, verse three. So he's asking his brother in verse two about the situation in Jerusalem. And in verse three, here's the answer. Here's what his brother says. Those who survived the exile are back in the province, but they are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. This is exactly probably what Nehemiah expected. It's just confirming what he, what he expected that when he got news about what the situation was like back at home, it wasn't gonna be good. And so at this moment, Nehemiah, again, get the setting, he's safe, he's secure, he's in his comfortable palace serving the king, things are okay for him. But as soon as he gets confirmation of what he feared was true, Nehemiah has a choice in front of him. And we talked about this last week, Nehemiah has a choice, comfort or calling. Nehemiah is presented with this need. He's presented with what's the reality of his people. And Nehemiah has a decision that's in front of him. Is it gonna be comfort or is it gonna be calling? And we know we're reading the story today, millennia later, because Nehemiah chose calling 
over comfort. When he heard about the situation, he didn't just turn a deaf ear. He didn't just turn a blind eye. Instead, he said, okay, Lord, this is a terrible situation. These are my people. I can't just ignore this. I can't just keep in my comfortable place. It's not about my comfort. It's about this calling that you're putting in front of me. And so Nehemiah made that choice. You know, that's a decision I think that's in front of us too. I said this last week, these kind of pivotal moments, they don't happen every day, right? These kind of opportunities to step into a situation instead of step out of a situation, they don't come along every day. And I, and I, I think if I could just spiritualize the story a bit, you know, are we looking at our city the way Nehemiah looked at Jerusalem? Are we seeing the devastation of our city? Because friends, it's easy to just get in your car and drive to your job and, and go home to your family and kind of worry about no one but except your immediate situation and, and really not think about the devastation of our city. It doesn't look like our city's in ruins, but if we had spiritual eyes to see our city, I think it would look much different. I think we'd see bondage and prison. I think we'd see spiritual darkness. I think we'd see children that don't have parents leading them in the way of Jesus. We'd see husbands and wives not treating each other the way God intends. We'd see people coping with all their problems with addictive behaviors that lead to only more problems. Come on, somebody, that's the truth. Instead of seeing what looks like prosperity on the outside, we'll see what the, what the, what the angel says in, in the book of Revelation, that truly they're poor and they're blind and they're, they're wretched because spiritually, physically, they might have all their needs met, but, but spiritually, they're far from met. They need Jesus. So Nehemiah sees his city, or he hears about the city, and then he springs into action. He's choosing a calling over comfort. But then uh, I wanna show you the next thing Nehemiah does. This is in verse four. Again, I don't have the verse up, but you can take my word for it. He says, then when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. And, I, and for some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. See, Nehemiah allowed the situation to affect him. He allowed himself to become emotionally engaged in the situation. And that's something interesting about us as humans, right? We can make those choices, whether we're gonna be emotionally engaged, we see a need, we can either choose to say, yeah, I wanna let my heart hurt for that, or we can say, no, I'm just gonna kind of close up my heart towards that. And I, I said this last week, and I wanna repeat that there's something important that you and I need to remember about being engaged. When you and I choose to be engaged in something, it changes us, it transforms us, <coughs> excuse me. You think about our military, any one of those men and women who fight for freedom for the United States, they're engaged in the military. They're changed by that. Sometimes they come home with wounds, emotional and physical. And, and, and sometimes though, they come back with a deep appreciation for what is here in the United States. And that's why Veterans Day and Memorial Day means more to them, I would argue, than to the average citizen. Our police, they are engaged in protecting our city and helping our, our city. And if there's a 911 call, there's people coming to our aid. Our doctors and our nurses, they've had a different experience with the pandemic than maybe the rest of us. Here it is, friends, engagement transforms you. And that's the same thing spiritually. When you and I choose to engage in the city's needs, we choose to say, your problem's my problem. 
Your needs, my need, your, your uh, loss, right? The, the thing that's lost in you is now my problem too. Like that transforms us. And so I just wanna say this at the outset. Me and me, our pastoral team, Mike, Evan, Jamie, all of us, we have no desire to become like a mega church. We don't, we, this is not about growing our church to become a big church. Guys, there's two things that are just burning on our hearts. Number one, we love our city. We love Henderson and we believe Jesus is the answer. Not the church at Lake Mead, certainly not me, but Jesus is the answer. And the more ways we can get Jesus into the lives of people, we know he can set the captives free. He can set the prison. I'm gonna start preaching. There is hope in Jesus. Guys, listen, I wanna go on a rabbit trail so bad about Easter and the resurrection right now. I'm holding back. Guys, this is true. Jesus stared death down and beat it. And I'm not playing, that's true. There's real hope there. Do, does our city need that hope? Absolutely, our city needs that hope. If we, we've become very acquainted with death and disease and sickness these last two years. And if there's ever a time we need to stare, we need to look at our city and say, listen, there's hope. This is not all there is. There is an answer to your pain and his name is Jesus. He's the good shepherd and he laid down his life for the sheep. Friends, you gotta meet him. He can rescue you. He can transform you. He can show you the way out. There is an answer and his name is Jesus. Please meet him. Please, like we have on the wall there, encounter Jesus. Let him radically transform you. That's burning in our hearts. And the other thing that's burning in our hearts is as a pastor, my job is to shepherd us and, and to help oversee us. Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the chief shepherd, but I'm, I'm, I'm working for Jesus, right? And I'm part of his pastoral team. And, and part of this, what I'm excited about taking our church on a journey here is I, I'm excited about this spiritual growth that will happen in our lives collectively as we engage in this process, as we say, listen, you know what? We haven't had to really, you know, be sacrificial before as a church at Lake Mead member. I haven't really had to really dive into this before. This is a new chapter for us. And that's exciting to me because engagement transforms us. All right, I have to get back on my script here. I'm way off, let me get back here. So what does Nehemiah do? He prays. His prayer is beautiful. Let me read this to you. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open. Hear the prayer of your servant who's praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family have committed against you. We've acted wickedly against you. We've not obeyed your commands. Here's what Nehemiah is doing. He's saying, look, God, I'm not here piously praying for other sinners. I'm a part of the problem. See, that's, that's what we all need to recognize here, friends. Guys, if you are safely in the arms of Jesus, 
I'm so happy for you, but listen, do not forget, you and I do not deserve to be sitting safely in the arms of Jesus. It's not because you and I are so great and such good people that God said, let me pick you, put you on my team. Friends, none of us deserve the grace of God. Can I get an amen to that? If you know Jesus, it's only grace. It's not that you're in some spiritual high class, right? We're all, we all don't belong at the table, but our God is good and Jesus' grace is extended. And so Nehemiah identifies himself as part of the problem. It would have been easy for Nehemiah to say, hey, I hit the lottery. I'm in the best job on you know, this side of the exile. And so I don't need to worry about it because I'm gonna be okay. He chooses calling over comfort. He identifies with the problem. He makes it his own and he confesses it. Then he begins, and I'm gonna kind of hurry here. He begins to ask God to be faithful to his promise because God promised Israel, hey, if you forsake me and I turn away from you and then you're exiled, here's my promise. You start to pray, you start to seek my face, you repent, I will turn my ear back to you and I will bring you back home. And Nehemiah knows that promise of God. He starts to ask God about that. God, you told us that if we would confess, if we would repent, you would bring us back home. God, would you be faithful to your promise? And so Nehemiah is praying. He's weeping. He's fasting before the Lord. We're gonna fast forward the timetable. About four months goes by. And then we jump into chapter two. About four months go by. And here's what chapter two, I do have this verse for you. It's in the month Nisan. I don't know if it's a Sintra or whatever. That's a joke. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I know, I just had to say it. Uh, it's in the month Nisan with the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. So it's about four months have been going on. And so Nehemiah has a job and he's, he's there to attend to the king. He's a cupbearer. He's the one bringing wine to the king for the banquets. So when wine was brought before him, I took wine I gave it to the king, check this out. I had not been sad in his presence before. For four months, he'd been serving this king. Scholars think that this might've been like a, a banquet, a feast for the new year. This was the first month of their new year. And Nehemiah is, is looking and waiting and praying for the right time. And this is the right moment. And Nehemiah is gonna make a decision, a subtle decision, but it's a, it's a bold risk. Doesn't seem like a bold risk, but it's a bold risk. He's in the courtroom of the king. This is a very privileged place. And Nehemiah is gonna make a conscious decision to allow his true emotion to show. He's gonna make a passive protest, a silent protest. I'm just gonna silently protest by revealing how I truly feel. And so he makes this decision, verse two. So the king asked him, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? <laughs> now, at this moment, his blood pressure is rising, right? The king, the most powerful person in, in the world at the time, is now noticed that Nehemiah is not happy. That is not what the king wants. You can take your sad personal problems and go somewhere else, right? That is not how you're supposed to be in my presence. And so Nehemiah is, is revealing his emotions and King Arzixis asks him about it. And he says, this can be nothing but sadness of the heart. Now, how is the king gonna react to this? What is Nehemiah gonna say when asked about these emotions that the king is seeing? Now, this is where the four months of praying, 
The, the asking the Lord, the, the believing that this is a vision that God's put in his heart is now gonna be tested. What's Nehemiah gonna do? What's he gonna do? These are the rubber meets the road moments. What's he gonna do? Look how he starts. I, I love this. I think this is wise. <laughs> May the king live forever. Like before I say anything, right? Before I, because you know, right? Um, I want you to live forever. Like I hope that happens, right? <laughs> But why shouldn't my face be sad? The city where my ancestors, it lies in, buried in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Like, king, I, I can't pretend anymore. Why can't, how can my face not be sad? So then the king has a moment. This is, these are these moments where if the Lord isn't going to do something here, we're, we're really going to have a whole different story here, right? Like it could have been, hey, out of here, right? Or hey, executioner, follow him out of here, right? I mean, it could have been something like that, right? Like, uh, no, you're a conquered people. Don't bring that into this pa palace, right? But look what happens, verse four. The king says, so what do you want? I like this little phrase, then I prayed. <laughs> like, it's just, it's just so you know as the reader, like I'm praying when I'm about to say, I'm like praying and I'm talking like all at the same time. Don't you, how many of you guys know you can pray and you can talk at the same time, right? You can multitask, right? Come on, how many of you guys need to be multitasking sometimes, right? <laughs> you know, it's that, it's that crucial conversation with your spouse and you're like, I need to say this the right way. Lord, I, I need to talk about this, but I need to say, because if it goes the wrong way, <laughs> this isn't gonna be, or your boss, or whatever, right? So you can pray and you can talk. Thank you very much, Nehemiah. So that's what happens there, right? So he's praying. And what you're gonna realize is these four months that he's been praying, he's been doing something else too. He's been planning. Let me say this, friends. If we pray, but we don't plan, we're really not expecting God to do anything. Because if you pray and you don't plan, what is that really saying to God? That's saying that you're just playing about praying. You're not really praying for God to answer because if you did pray so that God would answer, your prayer would have a little plan involved in that. Can I get an amen to that? So let's not pray and not plan. So Nehemiah is praying and he's been planning. And when the king asks him what he wants, guess what? Nehemiah is ready to tell him. And so he says, I answer the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, a little rabbit trail there, I believe Nehemiah has been serving the king faithfully to earn a little bit of credibility right here so that the king is favorable for him. Friends, we, it, we need to be wise. We can't just say, well, I prayed, right? And it should just work out. Like we need to be wise. Jesus says, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Nehemiah was, he was wise. He was earning favor with the king so that when he was finally ready to ask and he was finally ready to get his big moment, he was ready to say, hey, if I've found favor, here's what I'm asking. He said this, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Hit that next one for me, guys. 
Then the king said to the queen sitting beside him, and some scholars believe this is exactly why Nehemiah picked this moment to to be sad, because it seems like this was a special banquet where the king and the queen were together. And I don't know if Nehemiah, again, he's smart, right? He's like, you know, the best time to ask that guy is when his wife's sitting next to him, right? Like that just makes more sense because if he wants to show off how nice and magnanimous he is, like he'll probably do that when the queen is next to him, right? And so the queen sitting next to him, Artaxerxes has this moment where this servant is asking for favor. And then the the question, well, how long are you gonna be gone? And when will you get back? And Nehemiah summarizes for us, so it pleased the king to send me. So I set a time, verse seven. I also said to him, well, if it pleases the king, so now while we're asking, you know, while we're having the conversation, um, could you send some letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct? In other words, how about an escort over, you know, to Judah? Because if I'm just traveling, I mean, you know, I could get robbed along the way or whatever. Would you send safe conduct? In verse eight, I love Nehemiah. He, he's like the door's cracked and he's just gonna go through. And can I have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the Royal Park, um, that he'll give me the temper. In other words, can I get your Lowe's credit card? Like, cause I'm gonna need that too, right? Like I'm gonna need the credit card. I'm gonna need the captains. Like, cause we're gonna go back to Judah and it's a long trip and I ain't got no money. I mean, right? So all of this happens. And so here's Nehemiah and look at, he says, and because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my request. Man, let me say something to us, church. Only those in the battle experience the victories. Only those who choose a calling over comfort get to experience God's good hand upon them to do things that no one could else could expect. This is Artaxerxes. He's not a Jewish king. He could probably care less about what's happening in Jerusalem. But here's Nehemiah getting an audience, getting an opportunity and seeing a a non-Jewish king send money, resources, protection so that Nehemiah could go back. What a story he's gonna have to tell. Now, do you have stories that that you get to tell? This is one of those storytelling moments for us, church. This is one of those moments in the history of our lives that we're gonna go back and look at, you know, and say, man, I remember when I got in the battle and I saw some victories. I chose some, I chose the calling over the comfort. I decided to identify with the needs of our city. and And I put myself in that place that wasn't comfortable. But it's there, I started seeing like, oh my gosh, look at these victories, look at, look at God. It's like Peter, right? Getting out of the water and getting out of the boat. On, like, oh my, the water, I can walk on that. At least as long as I keep my eyes on Jesus, right? And so here it is, verse eight, or next verse, verse nine, sorry. So I went to the governors of the trans-Euphrates river. I gave them the king's letters like, hey guys, yeah. Let's go. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) You know, he walked with a little swagger. He's like, yeah, here, come on. Get your, get your Calvary. We're headed to Jerusalem. Uh, Last time you were down there, you were there to tear down the walls. This time you're going down there to help me rebuild those walls. Can I get a name into that? Woo. I just saw, saw that anyway. Okay. Verse 10. All right. Verse 10. So things are going great. Things are going great until you get to verse 10. When Sanballat the Horonite, I have a terrible last name, 
And Tobiah the Ammonite heard about this. They were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Do you ever wonder why do some people have such a predisposition to stopping good things from happening? I don't know, but we have some clues. You know, until the king of kings returns and subdues all spiritual forces that are in rebellion under his feet, we are gonna experience opposition. There will be sand ballots and Tobias in our life to try to stop us. I don't know what the opposition is that is in front of us, church, but if I'm faithful to what the Bible says, there's gonna be oppositions in front of us. When Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he says, listen, I'm in Ephesus. I've decided to stay longer. By the way, Ephesus was the second largest metropolitan area in, in the whole Roman empire at the time. He says, I've decided to stay longer in Ephesus because there's many opportunities, but what does he add? Do you know? There's a lot of adversaries. There will always be opposition to God's work. There will always be those who are stirred up by our enemy to try to stop what God is doing. I just pray it's not anyone in our room here right? We, that's why we need to be on guard. Like guys, the enemy will try to divide us. He will try to, he will try to separate us, cause suspicion, even among us. Like we need to say, no, guys, that's our goal. Let's not let the enemy have any foothold here. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Man, there's more that unites us than should ever divide us, friends. We're never going to agree on every minute part of scripture, friends. But what we're united around is that Jesus came, conquered death, and is coming again. And has an everlasting kingdom that will be, there will be no end to. So verse 11, he says this in Jerusalem. Hit that next one. He, he, he arrives there finally. He stays there for three days and three nights. And what he does during this time is he assesses what's happened. So he goes out at nighttime and he travels around the walls to see firsthand what's going on. He does a, a, a circuit of the whole area. It takes three days to really assess it. He's doing it at night. He doesn't tell anyone what he's doing. And in verse 16, he has a meeting with the officials that are there. And it says the officials did not know. Oh yeah, go back. Sorry. Uh, what I was, where I'd gone or what I was doing because I hadn't said anything to them. I hadn't said anything to the, plant, to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or any of those who would be doing the work, verse 17. But then I said, you see the trouble we're in. Notice that Nehemiah has identified himself fully with that. We are in. I've left Susa. I'm with you now. The trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. So come, let's rebuild the wall. Let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and let's no longer be in disgrace. At that point, I can, I can see people start to say, yeah, thanks, we already knew all this. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you come and you can see it for yourself. But yes, let's rebuild the wall. But Nehemiah, like, how are we gonna do that? And notice what he says, verse 18, I love this. It's kind of like a parenthesis. I also told him about how the good hand of my God was upon me. And now I had the, cre the king's loads credit card in my hands. Let's go, right? Like, can you imagine the excitement with that? It's like, oh yeah, by the way, check out this credit card I got. Like, let's get to work. But you know what's interesting about this story? Nehemiah needs their help. You see, here it is. God gave a vision 
and God supplied the provision, but there's still a gap to the finish. When God does, when God gives a vision, I believe he supplies a provision, but the provision for the vision isn't enough to complete it. There's always a gap in scripture and the gap is an opportunity for you and I to join God in what he's doing. God doesn't need us. God could build the building without us. But for whatever reason, he has chosen to partner with human beings who represent him, who are his image bearers on this earth. And the gap is left there for you and I to fill in, to say, God, I will join your vision. I will use your provision and I will offer myself in that. And so here's the response first. Here's the next verse. They replied, well, let's get started. Let's get started. And so what I wanna do, uh, I'm gonna invite Mike, Pastor Mike up here. And if you're joined our church in the last couple of years, you might not know the bigger story of Lake Mead. We're gonna kind of go through some pictures of what God's been doing over the years. Yeah. Uh, there's been other chapters where people were invited in. They took those moments to fill in those gaps. In chapter three, uh, notice this, and then we'll get into some pictures. Here's what happens. It says, they all start working. And then now we have this, we have Eliashabab, I think is how you say his name. He's the high priest. I like this. And his fellow priests, they went to work. And if you were to read the next five verses, you're gonna find out all these different groups of people all got to work. The high priest, the other priests, some of the high officials, the common people. The next verse talks about a group from Jericho. Yeah, it's not in this verse. It's the next verse, which I don't have up there. A group from Jericho comes up. Hey, we're here to work. You know, we live in Jericho, but we're here to help. And you have all of these people joining the vision to see what God's gonna do. So I wanna talk with Pastor Mike about joining the vision and the legacy that's happened before us. Yeah, do you remember... Uh some of you might remember what photo albums are. Remember those? <laughs> like you'd actually open them up and look at them. And so we're going to do that in, in a sense uh, for a second. So over 30 years ago, uh, Brad's mama um, had this dream of, of starting a Christian school. And so just, a, I think, maybe a mile and a half from here, yeah. um, and just up the street. And so we have, uh, we, this was started uh, Brad and I went to school here uh, in ninth grade. We had 20-some of us in high school all gathered in this space, and there was K through 12 at that time, I think less than probably 50 kids all together. Yeah. Uh, and just like, this is the need right now. Let's do this. And, and so... I think then, we got these trailers from a church across town or something. Yeah, yeah. And I know we got another trailer from Faith Lutheran High School. To, to contribute towards yeah, when we get out, oh, yeah. yeah. I Doing remember in ninth sorry. grade, we were painting this building right here. I clearly remember that. Our PE facility was unrivaled because right here is Morrell Park. And it was like, we have the best PE facility ever. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, and then from here, there were a group of women that uh, prayed together. They traveled all throughout Henderson when Henderson was much smaller yeah. and prayed over different plots of land. Like, God, would you do something? Give us a piece of land. And they faithfully did that for a long time. And, and then somebody gave us a piece of land. Five Just, and a half acres yeah. of land on Lake Me Drive. Gave it to the trailer school. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> really? I mean, really? Really, yes. Yeah. We, 
people would often pull up to that and not get out. They would be like, I don't know if I want to get out of the car. Uh, and, and so it was just such an important part of, of our dream, of our story. And then, so South Campus, just about a block and a half from here, uh, began to grow. And so we even had a little block party where people, students and, uh, and teachers and parents all came together to, to build together. Like people who, uh, like Brad right here, <laughs> um, there he is. Yeah. Building on that wall. And so Very we came together for the Nehemiah story. Come on yeah. now. Yes. And then we put a, a plot, a few, uh, um, trailers on the part on the property. This is where Taco Bell is right there. And then this was, um, the front of the property. This and is where the early education center is now. Yeah. And we just, I mean, it was a daunting task to oh consider goodness. how do we build on this and we just prayed and God provided and people over and over came together at, at right seasons yep. to make this happen and then uh, and then we built the front property for these little ones uh, to, to have the front property for going down beyond kindergarten all the way down to infant and some of these kids that are in this picture are now 18 and 19 years old um, and uh, been heard the story of Jesus uh, and so we did things a little bit differently. Uh, a school came first and then we're like, oh, we need a church. Um, our schools are always been open enrollment. You don't have to believe in Jesus to attend. Um, and it's always been one of our core values is this accessibility. You don't have to have a certain class or a certain amount of money or like we wanna be wide open. And, and so people from uh, have come over and over every year. And, uh, and so then we outgrew this spa that space and we began to dream again. Like, what about this property that has nothing on it? Uh, and somebody gave us the property we're in right now. Like it was given to us. This, uh, how many acres it's on this crazy, one? like 14 acres. Yeah, it was they were gave given it to, to us. us. And so then we just prayed and, and then now we're sitting in this room because many people have been faithful and praying and working to, to see this happen. So this is, oh, look at that yeah, fall of 2016. Now you, you kind of know where we are on the timeline. And we had a big sign up and we were praying that God would be able to give us the funds to build the building we're in right now. And I wish we could spend a whole hour telling you all of these provisions, these yeah. are miracles of God, of why we're here. And guys, I just wanna say one thing. It, when you are able to sow in, especially into building a new building, I'm just thinking like spiritually, the return on that investment, because for generations, way after you are gone, that building will still be in use, sharing the good news, helping people to know Jesus. Yeah. You know, you did see a picture, Mike, you were there with me building for all these years on this and many others. And I'm just telling you, when I go over to the South Campus, that first building, and I see little kids in there, sometimes I just think, I'm so thankful, God, that I was able back in 1999, 1998, to, to work. like. I have no idea the jobs I've done. I've done so many different jobs and given away or, or spent so much money on stuff I'll never remember. But the, the dollars and the, and the sweat for God's kingdom stuff is stuff that's always gonna be remembered. You can spend $300 at Lowe's or Home Depot or Costco so easy and not even really know. And I didn't realize you gotta eat. I'm not saying that. But man, money that we invest in God's kingdom goes on and on and on. Yeah. So here we are uh, for what's next. Um, and we've been praying for several weeks, months about this property. Um, and
you have committed to that. And just like Nehemiah prayed, like, let's pray first. That's what we always must do. We pray first. And I hear from many of you when we were last week and, and even in the last year, a unified voice. Yes, this is the next step because we are doing this together. It's not, uh, this is all of us together. Yeah. And we've heard this unified voice. We're going to do this. We're going to step out into this. And so for us to do the next step, we're going to do another undaunt, like this daunting task. God, you have to make this possible uh, because the, your provision must happen. And so we will together, no matter where we're at in our, in our life, we will we'll step into this. And so, so what would that look like? Um, we've kind of kept that, we haven't said a lot about that uh, with us in here. We said a little bit last week. Um, yeah, and so here's what we're, we're considering. Ephesians chapter three, this is our, our collective prayer together. Now to God who is able to measurably, do measurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout every generation. Our prayer is that the next generations who aren't even born yet would know Jesus by being on, uh, because we are continuing to take and be a light into this community.